You're listening to the Star Wars Reports Rebels Roundtable, the official Star Wars Rebels discussion podcast of StarWarsReport.com. Join us each week as we discuss each new episode. We want to hear what you think of this new Star Wars series. Send us an email or an MP3 at RebelsRoundtable at StarWarsFanWorks.com. Follow us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash RebelsRoundtable, on Twitter at RebelsRound, or on our website, RebelsRoundtable.com. It's a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. So strap yourselves in and welcome to the show. Hello and welcome to the original Rebels Roundtable, the official podcast of the Star Wars Report covering all things Rebels animated series. And tonight we're discussing the final episode to season one, Fire Across the Galaxy. This is the episode that brings everything together. And as this is sort of the major episode of the season, we decided to change things up and bring a few extra friends in to discuss this so, joining me tonight, we have Barrent. Hey, everybody, it's Barrent. It's good to be here, and we have some extra special guests for this extra special episode. I think it deserved it, so um, it's good to be back, Jonathan. Thank you. Mark? I feel extra special. Thank, thank you all. Thank you very much. Nathan? Hey, everybody. I'm not special at all. And coming back, they were actually willing to come back, we have Jerry. Hey guys, great to be on for this uh, last episode of the season. And Brock. Hello everyone, thanks for having me back. I'm honored to be uh, part of the group today. Now as I said, this was the final episode of season one, but I don't know about you guys, I had kind of a hard time thinking about this as an episode. I almost see this as the final chapter to the first book in a series. Because this was great. I really enjoyed this episode. And it wrapped up so many of the things that had been started earlier in the season. Hey, this episode picked up on things that were even before the season. It it picked up on some of the information from those little introductory blurbs that we had before Spark of Rebellion. But enough about what I thought. What did you guys think of this episode? And as you guys are our guests, Jerry, why don't you kick us off? Oh, well, thank you, Jonathan. That's good. You know, I number one, I had the opportunity, I guess I took the opportunity to watch these last two episodes back to back. So I get them off iTunes and I, I intentionally did not watch the episode last week. I watched them both back to back. So for me, it kind of felt like a an extra long uh, episode. And, and number one, I'll tell you what, it I, I enjoyed so much that those two episodes went so quickly. I, I think every episode of Rebels goes quickly um you know whereas clone wars actually felt the opposite i felt like a 22 minute episode dragged on so these episodes are they're fast paced i really enjoy them and you know overall overall i really liked how they ended the season with the you know the stakes were high the um the action was good the reveals were right on i mean did didn't we always want a season of clone wars to end with something special and cool and the new episodes, the first episodes of the second season or the following season start with something cool. And we got some of that here and there was, you know, some of the Darth Maul stuff did that. But I kind of remember season one just ending and then season two just starting. You're like, what? No big aha. But I think they really played the biggest cards they could have possibly played. And I'm thrilled for it. 
Brock, why don't you tell us what you thought of this season finale? I thought they tied everything together so brilliantly. I agree with Jerry on how these last two episodes really worked in together so well. I, too, watched them back to back because I was a little behind on the episode. I watched them on the Disney XD app. And the the thing I liked the most about this last episode was not only did it have a nice conclusion for the season, but they already set us up so brilliantly for what the next step is going to be. They set so many things in motion with so many new characters we haven't seen before and seeing the tie-in characters that are new to Rebels these past few episodes and tying up some nice threads that were happening throughout the whole season. It had it had light points, it had dark points, it had new characters, it had old characters. It had everything you want in a season finale, including getting me excited for the next season already. So overall, a very strong episode. You know, Jerry, Brock, you guys bring up something that I think is, it's a really good point. This had me really eager for more Rebels, which I know we're going to have to wait a couple of months for. And I think that's something that the Clone Wars never really did for me. I, ne- I was never craving that that next season like I am for Rebels. Mark, what did you think? Well, you know, you mentioned how it felt like a book series. And, and while that's very true, I, I kind of felt like it was more like all of season one was one giant movie, you know, one Peter Jackson journey into into Lord of the Rings kind of things, but only Star Wars. I mean, and the the way this 20 minute episode captured the whole feel of what everything's been building up to, it delivered on so many levels with the the orchestra. You had the choir singing it. I mean, the, the, there were so many background things that were just kicking off all the way through this. But the main part of the story was the journey of these characters. And this point where you get to this climax and, oh, man, it, it was firing on all cylinders. It was like being an, in the pod race all over again for me. I mean, you know, there were some aspects of it that had me kind of scratching my head and questioning, but all in good ways. You know, nothing where I'm like kind of ripping on it. I know we, we can tend to rip on some things here and there, but this was definitely not one that I had any complaints about. For me, I think that. This episode was great. It was really cool. I mean, I don't think a lot of people would disagree with that. But I do agree with Mark about how this ep- this whole season really felt. And I, we'll talk about it in the wrap up, but it really did feel like a movie. And what this episode did, besides wrap up a lot of loose ends and get us excited for the next quote unquote movie or season, if you want to call it that, it made me care. It, it made me realize how much I care about these characters. I mean, I remember saying in the first couple shows how hard it was for me to care about these characters. You know, if they would have put Ahsoka in as, and growing up, you you know, you're already invested in that. I'm invested in these characters. I'm invested in Ezra, whether he looks like Aladdin or not. I'm in, I'm invested in him now. And I can't wait to see what's coming up next. And I think that they really have learned from their time on Clone Wars, and they're giving us the goods, man. Nathan, bring us home. You know, I would agree. This is an outstanding episode all around. They have learned their lesson, it seems like, from Clone Wars, not just in terms of let's you know, end a season on something spectacular, uh, and sometimes Clone Wars did that, but never really in such a way that really left you wanting more, just sort of a, huh, except maybe the Darth Maul episode. I found this, I mean, again, it sort of feels like the entire season has been one big film, but I would argue that, in a sense... One of the things that that people kept asking after this was, oh, so is this your favorite episode now? Because I was so glowing about it. And I'm not sure if I would say this is the best episode of the season. It's awesome. 
but it doesn't necessarily stand on its own. It needs the other parts. I think call to action still stands on its own a little bit better. Uh, but in a sense, they're all part and parcel of the same thing. I mean, call to action, rebel resolve, and this are essentially a trilogy. And the thing that this one has going for it is it's all climax. It's all butt-kicking action like you would expect from the third part of a trilogy. It's got its squee kind of moments. Um, a couple of them, especially for me, though, probably not one of them being something that uh, uh, a lot of people would say is their, one of their top two moments of the whole thing. But I think Barron hit it on the head. This is a series that because of its format, we've gotten to know and, and invest ourselves in these characters more than we ever really did with Clone Wars. With Clone Wars, it was, hey, look, it's Anakin. It's Obi-Wan. Care about them because they're in the movies. But in this case, it's all new characters. What original character we got back from Clone Wars? Ahsoka. For the first couple of seasons, a lot of folks couldn't stand Ahsoka. There really wasn't a sense of, wow, she's growing. Uh, how lovely and how much are we getting drawn into that character? It was more of an, oh my god, will she please shut up? Until they did the time jump, and then she started acting like she wasn't a teeny bopper a lot of times anymore. In this case, throughout, we've seen these great emotional shifts in some of these characters and have become invested without having to have some movie character sitting there saying, well, that's the Padawan of Anakin. You have to like her, don't you? No. They put them out there, they let them stand on their own, and managed to create a fantastic season with a great ending. Now, what I found myself thinking about while watching this episode, and I've watched this one multiple times because I really did enjoy it, and I was thinking about these characters and thinking about why I am invested in them, as you guys have said. And I think that's because in Clone Wars, we, and we talked about this, in Clone Wars, we knew that Anakin was going to survive. We knew that Obi-Wan was going to survive. Most of these characters, we kind of knew where they were going to end up. We don't know where these guys are going to end up. There's there's some stakes here that are, you know, believable. Uh, well, okay, maybe not believable, but there are stakes here that I'm interested in. The end point isn't set, so I kind of enjoy that. Yeah, the person who needs to be worried is Hera. She might be out of job soon, now that Ahsoka's back. Yeah, that was a good point, because... If it depending on how much Ahsoka is going to be around next season, it's kind of they could be don't need to have both characters in every episode, right? So I, I bet you Ahsoka is going to come in intermittently, but perhaps we should getting ahead of ourselves talking about Ahsoka. We should probably talk about the episode at hand first. Do you guys see the uh, some of the the build up to this episode though? I think it think goes back very well to Jonathan's point there, which is the whole who will fall thing, because we had. Who will fall back with Clone Wars? But if you looked at the choices that they gave, there were all these secondary characters except for Ahsoka and Rex because, as Jonathan was saying, everybody else was a film character we knew was going to show up again. In this case, really no one was safe unless they want to put Tarkin in the crosshairs at this point, which completely changes the dynamics of the show. That's actually part of why fans gripe about the whole it's a small galaxy after all idea the oh here we go they have to know lando oh look now ahsoka's back oh i guess it'll be han next season or something because they want to keep the stakes high and don't want to start introducing characters that can't be put in peril this series has done very well to use those in limited amounts uh, though there is some fear okay well vader's here now ahsoka's here now does that change the amount of peril we can have going into a second season well, I think the point was already made. Brock, I believe you made it. I don't think that Vader and Ahsoka are going to be regular characters. I think they're there to kind of step up the menace. And my guess is that we'll start season two with them. But I think it would be a misstep 
for them to continually use those characters. And I think Filoni has already said that Vader is not going to be an ongoing character. He's going to come in there when they need to ramp things up. But the rest of the time, he's got other things to do. Vader is second in command of the Empire, essentially, and he's got better things to do than hang out on Lothal. Well, I do hope that they have a secondary plot there with Ahsoka to some form, you know, where we at least see her interacting with Vader and kind of, even if it's only like one episode per season, I, I think that would be cool. I mean, this episode, we saw both of them show up. You know, maybe next season we see an episode where he finds out she's alive. I mean, I don't know. I, I would at least like to see that as a plot in some form or fashion move forward. Well, looking at the episode itself, it starts off pretty much right where the previous episode left off. Our group was making plans to to infiltrate the Imperial presence on Mustafar to rescue Kanan. And what do they do? They go and steal an Imperial freighter, and they do it at the same, I think that was the same yard that we saw in the pre-Spark of Rebellion material, Artist Attack. And they even reference that when the storm, when she's kind of prompting those stormtroopers or teasing those stormtroopers, they're like, oh, the artist is back. I thought that was great. I mean, it's something so simple and, and really just so minor. But again, it, it weaves it in and it's something we never, ever would have seen in Clone Wars. They've done that now twice in a sense. I mean, you haven't seen Entanglement used haven't seen Machine and the Ghost used, but now Art Attack is being referenced here. It's also referenced in Sabine's journal uh, as a formative moment that kind of got the Empire's attention focused on her for a little bit. And then we had Ezra's uh, property of Ezra Bridger get referenced then within Ezra's Gamble, one of the first uh, new canon books that are out there. I have to ask, though, we set up this idea that they're, okay, they're going to go find a way to steal a transport and save Kanan, who you mentioned is at Mustafar, where Jedi go to die, according to last episode. I gotta ask, though, the one thing that plagued me about this episode was, why Mustafar? It seems like the planet Mustafar has absolutely zero point of being the place where they took Kanan. I mean, maybe there's a base on the surface somewhere they were going to get to, but he's on the Star Destroyer. We never see the surface of Mustafar. We never really are given a point as to why they had to take him from Lothal to Mustafar as part of this interrogation process, except to delay the story long enough that our heroes get to do what they do in this episode. That's the one thing I wish they would have clarified at some point beyond the cryptic where Jedi go to die line. See, I thought that was brilliant because it, it seemed fitting that Palpatine would use this place as a place to break Jedi, the place where the Jedi's last hope officially died. I mean, yeah, Anakin had already claimed the moniker Darth Vader, but who Anakin was as an individual died on Mustafar. But I think what Nathan is saying is that it doesn't have that impact. I mean, Kanan doesn't know that that's the case. I kind of just figured that maybe he was on Tarkin's starship. He was on his destroyer. And that's where they were torturing him. They were at Mustafar because we know that Tarkin is, you know, working on the Death Star. Wasn't Mustafar always kind of like a mining planet where they got minerals and things that Tarkin may need to oversee the transportation of. That's kind of how I justified it in my own mind, but I could be reaching. I think that they were waiting for Vader is what it was. I mean, the Inquisitor wasn't getting any, anywhere with Kanan and Vader was on his way. And so when Vader was going to get there, they would have took him on Mustafar. I think Mustafar is really significant in the fact that that is where Jedi go to die. You know, that's where the last of the, the great Jedi, the great one, went and died. And so it makes a lot of sense. And 
they, I don't think they're just throwing Mustafar out there. If there's one thing that we've learned about Filoni through this whole season is that he doesn't waste anything. He's not very wasteful with his with what he does and what he shows us. So when he says that that's where Jedi's go to die, I think they're going to use that. And we may see some flashbacks or something in season two or whatever, where we will get to see Mustafar, uh, Nathan. I, I just think you're going to have to wait a little while. Honestly, well, I think I think they put Mustafar in there as a cliffhanger for the last episode going into this one, just to give people a little bit, a bit of ominous stuff. Like the old TV show Heroes would have that little tease about someone in pain or something, or a, a tease to go on forward. Or maybe if you watch The Flash now, a more recent example, they have a little bit of a blurb at the end of the show that gives you a bit of a tease or just a, a little bit of a cool little action beat that... It doesn't have anything to do with the next episode at all, but kind of like puts a nice little spin on it. So here with Mustafar, we all know what it is. It's kind of a nod to the audience. The characters don't know the significance of Mustafar that we know. But for us, it's a nice little tip to the hat. And I think Nathan's right. They didn't use the planet necessarily in the next episode. But what it did do is added for the audience uh, something with a little bit of gravitas. So, yes, uh, I don't think you needed to go to the planet. I think just knocking it in there at the end of the episode was more than enough. Well, obviously it has a reputation when they said, oh, they're going to Mustafar, that's where they go to die. I mean, it's to me, it's like in the, the 80s where, you know, in a movie, someone would be like, if they're being punished or prisoners, like, oh, you send them to Siberia. It's like, oh, no, not Siberia. So apparently the characters in the show know what kind of planet it is. And it's like, oh, they're taking him to Mustafar. It's like, oh, crap, he's dead. So we're probably overthinking it. I think it's probably just uh, they know the, the the style of planet it is. You you don't take them there as a you know to take them to a country club. That's a that's a bad place to go. And apparently it has a reputation because their initial reaction that's where they take Jedi to die. So I shouldn't have uh, cashed in my timeshare for there this year. Hmm. Well, if you got free tickets to Disney World, then maybe it maybe it was okay. Disney hell, I guess, is what they would call it on Mustafar, right? Um, <laughs> Uh, of course, with the lines, that could be true everywhere. I Splash would say, Mountain gave me three degree burns on Mustafar. <laughs> I, gotta, I will say, I think I'm in agreement with Brock, who is in agreement with me, so I have to be in agreement with him. And Jerry and Barrett here. I, it feels as though Mustafar itself didn't have a payoff here. It was just a place to take him. It could have been Hoth. It could have been Bespin. It'd still get that, oh, look, here's a reference to the films kind of thing going in. The fact that they say it's where Jedi go to die... I'm hoping is going to mean we're going to see it again and they're going to give us an explanation that maybe that's where Inquisitors were constantly taking Jedi prisoners when they caught them or something to give us a reason. Maybe even make it the same facility we saw back in the Clone Wars when the children of the Jedi from the Holocron were being kidnapped and taken there for the experiments being done by the Sith. But at least as far as this series goes, they gave us no reason for any of that. Like Any reasons we're giving for why they should have been taken there it's all us trying to put rationale to something where they didn't give us a rationale. Oh, well, maybe there's a base there. Maybe they're, in, they're bringing all the Jedi there. It's where Jedi go to die. That must mean many of them did. Maybe there's a reputation out there. Okay, but that's all us trying to give reasons for something they didn't give us a reason for. We're just going to have to wait and see, I suppose. I just It seemed odd that with that much buildup to the planet, they didn't purposely go in and provide any other rationale other than that one line at the end of the previous episode. I Figured we were going to see some type of explanation. Even the episode guide and such on StarWars.com isn't giving us that. But I'm hopeful. If they actually start the next season with episodes that pick up from this instead of doing a Clone Wars and having them be completely random, booyah. I- I'm willing to wait and see. And I think we've we've already discussed it, but 
that's something that this series does. It doesn't leave things unfinished. It it picks stuff up. I mean, we we've seen that. I mean, getting a little bit further into this episode, we have something coming back from an episode I liked earlier this season. Nathan, you're uh, you're well documented as feeling that it was a filler episode, but fight or flight pays off because we see uh, the Tie Fighter come back. I'm sorry, Pablo. I'm sorry. You win. It actually mattered. I give. I'm just waiting for the toy of that thing. That's going to be an eyesore on our, on our shelves that the giant multicolored Muppet Show bus <laughs> colored. <laughs> electric I, mayhem. Totally. Totally. Exactly. The tie dye fighter. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I liked the opening sequence. It was like a sort of like a pre-credit teaser. Brock, I don't know if you got the sense of it, but it felt very James Bond to me. Oh, I got the James Bond out of it, but I, I kind of also liked that. It's also Raiders of the Lost Ark, like the previous adventure kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I, yeah, I got it. I, I, I think that as a sequence, it worked fine. It was kind of funny with that funny multicolored TIE fighter. The whole plan is, is cockamamie to me, though. I mean, <laughs> the whole way they're going to try to get him out of there. But you know what? It, it worked in, in, in the context, and it was a nice way to open the show. The only issue that I had with it was Sabine must have some Jedi skills there because she is just jumping around and either the stormtroopers can't hit anything or their guns are miscalibrated because literally she's like six feet away from a trooper. Maybe he couldn't, maybe his lenses were fogged up because they should have been, they should have been able to gun her down. Well, maybe like they're (laughs) like Barrent and they can't take their eyes off her. (laughs) You know, this is a, this was would be a I would say would be a mission where she could use a jetpack. You know, I think she's gonna get that jetpack eventually. <laughs> and the she jet just looks pack. so unfinished without the jetpack. Who Amanda without a jetpack? But it seems like it right here she didn't need it. And I, I thought the same thing. She's doing kind of flips in the air and you know, kind of reshifting her body weight in different ways and not being able to get hit. And that's the first thing I thought too, was that these stormtroopers can't hit anything, you know, bring back the clone troopers. At least they were deadly. It's almost like, um, you know, they kind of make a joke when uh, the, the, when the, when the tie fighter is about to blow up and stuff, they're like, you know, they make some sort of joke. I'm like, okay, here we go. You know, I kind of want to be scared of the, the stormtroopers, but, um, but I digress. Hey, watch it. <laughs> See, the, I uh, hope for a Jedi connection of some sort. You know, maybe like a a Baradan Jusk scenario where her dad was a Jedi that joined the Mandalorians or Death Watch or something along those lines. I think that'd be cool, and it would explain why she's doing all those jumps and cartwheels and stuff. Because I don't believe it's just training. I would just say that if we're going to see this, and this that's something that struck me also. She's done this a couple of times. This one, I think it was the episode with the puffer pig. She was doing the same kind of thing. We remarked on it when it was Ezra doing it and how maybe that's, you know, him instinctively using the force. And yet here's Sabine going all crazy with the jumps. I mean, if they were to say, okay, well, here's some Imperial characters who can do the same thing or maybe show us Hera doing the same thing. At least we maybe we could say, oh, well, it's just, you know, different gravity on Lothal or something. But so far, it seems like it's only Sabine of our main cast of characters who isn't supposed to be force sensitive that we know of that's able to do it. It's it's just a little jarring, not a big issue. But it's something that does seem to pop out to a lot of fans every time it shows up. It could be like it, parkour, right? It could be something as simple as that, as, as Jonathan mentioned, the James Bond thing. I got Tomorrow Never Dies opening out of this more than anything else. But the beginning, the first, not the pre credit sequence of Christina Royale, but the whole parkour thing, 
that jumping all over the place. It's conceivable. It's more like Yoda jumping around in Attack of the Clones, which I think we're all saying. But I think it's kind of I, I kind of went with it just because it was so much fun to watch. But I completely agree. It seemed weird, but I, I went with it because it was fun to watch. I think we're just looking at cartoon physics here. I mean, I don't know if anybody here watched the uh, Justice League TV show that was on, you know, Cartoon Networks in the mid mid two thousands. But you know, you had Batman jumping around like a superhero would, you know, not like a human being with no superpowers do. So I think we're just watching cartoon action, and it's fantastical. And how someone doesn't shoot Sabine four feet away from, I don't know, but it was cool. So they steal the freighter, and Hera remarks that it's still going to be too big to sneak onto a Star Destroyer and do what Sabine needs it to do, and remarks that it's just too bad that they don't have a tie. And this is where, as we said, Ezra comes back and goes, well, we kind of do have a tie. And Barrett and I, way back when, said that in fight or flight, that Ezra and Zeb did not destroy, they didn't crash the TIE fighter, they stashed it. And we find out that they let Sabine in on the secret, and Sabine's been using it as a canvas. And I think it's it's almost fitting. I, I'm curious to see what the long-term plans were for that. But again, it's one of those loose ends that I'm glad kind of came back. And it wasn't something overplayed. I mean, we've, we're making a lot of references back to how Clone Wars would have done it. If this was a Clone Wars episode, way back in Fight or Flight, we would have seen them land and hide the ship. Here, it was just kind of hinted at, and some of us picked up on it and some of us didn't. But there was that payoff here. I, again, I just think that this is good storytelling where it's there if you look for it, but they don't feel the need to beat you over the head with it. Not only that, it's you can feel, you understand that that Filoni understands that there's a whole universe out there, whether you see it or not, whether characters die off screen or whether they don't, you know, that he's able to tie these ends together and have us project our own, you know, the adventure is going on with us in our own minds way after the television is turned off or however you watch this show. Not only that, but do you remember when Ezra was late for Jedi training and said he was with Sabine? You know, in my mind, they were out there painting that TIE fighter, you know, so I'm making up they're they're, they're really doing their job uh, when it comes to storytelling. I agree with you, Jonathan. And that's exactly what it was. That was that reference in Path of the Jedi. They said that we would find out later this season just what they were doing. It was this. See, you guys remember that very clearly. I kind of think that it was convenient they didn't tell us about it. I. You know how we said earlier in this very episode that maybe we're giving them, um, we're, we're putting too much into this? Well, it can be conceivable that, yes, they plan this out entirely when they save the TIE fighter to use later in the season. It just also could be a happy coincidence they actually didn't finish that up. I, I don't want to say they didn't, but maybe we're giving them too much credit for this. But I'd be happily be wrong if they can prove to me that this is planned from the beginning. Well, Brock, I would say go back, if you can, and watch the last bit of Fight or Flight when... Zeb and Ezra are coming back to the ghost after their escapade with the TIE fighter, and they're asked, well, what happened to the TIE fighter? And they kind of look at each other and like, well, we crashed it. And then they're kind of like nud- elbowing and nudging each other, and you know that there's something else there. Right. It was that moment that I said, no, they stashed it. Okay. I, I really do think that this was kind of planned out. I mean, this kind of goes back to what we said at the beginning of the episode. This is one story that has been broken up into little parts. It's one movie, it's one book, whatever. You have chapters, you have 
you know, serialized bits. This was this was something that we always wanted before with Clone Wars. We wanted this sort of overarching story that all these things fit into, and we never really got it. Here we're getting it, which is why I think so many people are so many more people are enjoying Rebels than I think enjoyed Clone Wars. At least that's the response I've gotten, is that people seem to be enjoying this a lot more. You can imagine Dave Filoni or Simon Kimberg, one of the two, being in a room with all the different you know titles up on a board and strings connecting them. You get this massive Hiro Nakamura from Heroes kind of web going on of how they're fitting it together. Because it seems as though, with the exception of the Lando episode, which I'm assuming is to seed Lando into the series to show up later. It seems like, looking back on it, each episode introduced at least one important item that would eventually be used within this last trilogy of episodes to culminate the season. But literally, they made sure that each episode had a point and nothing went to waste. That calling them filler, apparently, isn't necessarily accurate. Yeah, but we still don't know what was in that crate in Out of Darkness. Ahsoka in Carbonite, again? (laughs) Now that's giving them too much credit. So they leave the ghost, and we're not, I assume they leave it on Lothal, and take this new ship to Mustafar with the TIE fighter that has now been gimmicked by Sabine. And man, Sabine, she seems to have all the toys. She's able to rig this thing that can, what, seriously just uh, overload all electrical systems. It's just like this giant EMP pulse that takes out a Star Destroyer. Yeah, ion pulse. If this is technology, why the heck aren't they using this all the time? They did on Hoth, and they made it a cannon. <laughs> but the the only other thing that, I, I mean, again, this it was probably on my third or fourth watching that it, it cur- occurred to me, is that that would work really well if there were only stormtroopers on the uh, Star Destroyer. But, you know, there's like naval troopers and there's other people that aren't, where, that aren't gonna, you know, get hit by this armor and get knocked out because as the group is kind of going through the Star Destroyer, they, they don't really encounter any conscious guards or anything. See, and, and I loved how when they knocked the power out and stuff, you know, the Inquisitor and, and Kanan in the room where he's being interrogated, you know, it shakes. And, and that was a great character moment. And, and I think, you know, it's a, a great opportunity for them and the story group canon to continue to illustrate the fact that the story goes beyond this show because they're talking about Kanan's last stand as a Padawan with his master. And that's about to be chronicled here in April uh, in the last Padawan. And I mean, I, I can't wait to watch this episode again after that comic kicks off and getting to that moment. I mean, you know, the Inquisitor's like, what did your master say? You know, he's just breaking him down. What was the last thing she said? What is it? And then Kanan just like, you almost see him well up with tears. He's like, run. and. Dude, that was such an emotional moment. Like, I was watching it with my dad and my son, and I was just like, damn, dude, that's that's pretty deep. No, I mean, I, I will say, I think that the the way she rigged it out made sense. I, I've got to give them credit that they did something different than what I would have expected. If this was Clone Wars, that TIE fighter would have blown up. It would just been an explosive demonstration of, of a, a distraction, and that's it. Just boom, done. And they would have had to find something else to escape with, and they would have just found some kind of random ship. But they managed to link it back in there so it becomes a ship that not only do they get to use again, but especially for the young audiences, I think keeping that around, not only using it as an EMP being kind of an interesting idea, it allowed, because remember when they're flying out of there, it's them in that plus the Inquisitor's tie, that you have a visual reference to be able to tell the two hero TIE fighters against the tons and tons of other ones that are out there to keep track of a very quick space battle 
that could have been very confusing very easily, especially for younger audiences, the much younger audiences of the show. It was a nice, creative choice. As far as the group going through the Star Destroyer, I thought it was kind of a quick bit. I, I liked it, and I liked the part where they basically close the blast door and Ezra disables it, and which in turn forces the group to split up. But I think, the for me, the high point of this episode was when Ezra rescues Kanan, and the two of them end up confronting the Inquisitor. I mean, obviously, we're going to make references to Phantom Menace because it was, it felt a lot like the end battle scene from that movie. But it was a growth moment for Kanan, didn't you think? When he thinks Ezra's been killed, instead of going over to the dark side, you know, embracing his anger, which is what I honestly thought he was going to do, he completely, he goes, I have nothing to be afraid of now. And that's when he's able to defeat the Inquisitor, not because he taps into his anger, not because of anything like that. You know, he basically understands what it means to be one with the Force and is able to overpower this enemy that he hasn't been able to touch, really, for the entire season. You know, the one thing that um, that, that I felt like watching that, I, I don't think this is actually going to be the case, but that whole scene in the battle and the way it ended and the Inquisitor falling to what normally would be falling to your doom and falling to a certain death, falling to a certain death, and who knows what will actually happen. But that's what went through my head. It's like, yeah, you know what? The Inquisitor doesn't have to survive this. Kanan doesn't really have to survive it, but he's a good guy. He wins. But the Inquisitor seemingly dies. Vader steps off the shuttle. Yeah, I kind of thought it'd be a, a, a very cool play to let the Inquisitor sort of start off the show set the, I don't know, the mood for how big of a threat the Rebels are, because you, you kind of feel like, hey, it's a little Rebel cell, send in one of the, the minor league Sith Lords to go take care of it. No, he ends up getting killed. We're going to need to put Vader in on this. And then, like, the remaining episodes of the season, they're running from Vader instead. You know, that, to me, would be a really cool way to take it. I don't see it happening. I don't think it will happen. I think you still have a lot of, maybe me being a little uh, cynical here, but you have a lot more merchan merchandising dollars to be had off of the Inquisitor, you know, to just kill him in thir 13 episodes. And his death is sort of like, well, maybe it's a death, maybe it wasn't. They could do whatever they want with it. But I thought that'd be kind of a, a at least a cool way to play it. Get us invested in a character let him actually die because we're like, oh my goodness, you know, Kanan, Ezra, none of these people are safe. But I don't think it's going to happen that way. But that would be that'd be kind of cool to see him do that. Now the Inquisitor says something after Kanan is able to disarm him that he doesn't know what he's done. He doesn't know what he's started. And I think the line is something like, "There are worse things than fear," or something to that yes. effect. That, yeah, worse there, were, than death. there are things yeah. more frightening than death. There, okay, there are things more frightening than death. And I've been wondering, what is he talking about there? Is he basically saying that by defeating him, he knows that the Empire is going to send Vader, which is going to take everything to a whole new level? Or is there something else? You certainly think Vader is the punchline to that, because Vader's probably not the kind who's just going to confront Kanan and cut him down with a lightsaber. He's going to take him and make him wish he was dead. I mean, we saw what, what little he was able to do to Han Solo and on Bespin, right? So that's what you kind of think. But 
don't know, maybe he was also trying to channel in a little Obi-Wan about how, you know, I'd be more powerful than you could possibly imagine. Maybe there's something else at play there. I I doubt they'll go there with that, but that that's kind of uh, what I assumed. I believe that the Inquisitor will come back. I believe, as in Jerry does, that there's some money to be made off this this character. He probably will come back, maybe a little mechanized. Maybe he's lost an arm. You know how they bring people back. You know, maybe he'll have a suit of his own and they'll sell a whole bunch more toys. But the Inquisitor could die. You know, they kind of made reference before that an Inquisitor was sent. They referenced that he may not be the only one. And one of you guys have referenced him as kind of like a mini Sith Lord. And I don't even think that's what it is, because when he was torturing Kanan, they were using the lightning. It seems like the lightning works very well on Jedi. That's kind of like the torture. That's the waterboarding of the Star Wars universe when it comes to Jedi. You just kind of electrocute them. (laughs) But he never what I noticed what he never used Sith lightning. So that's why he's not Sith. You know, that's why he's a, a dark force user, an inquisitor. And it kind of makes me wonder if they're going to use these inquisitors in in episode seven. We'll see. But the Inquisitor could die. There could be other Inquisitors. They could bring these. They could they could Optimus Prime this this season. You know what I'm saying? Well, you know, I thought that the Inquisitor I did hear. I did hear what you said that they said an Inquisitor. So there could be more than one. But when he died in this episode, I had every I was surprised. I thought he did die. I had no thought in my mind they're going to bring him back. Mechanical legs for Darth Maul aside. I, I honestly feel that this guy might actually be dead. And the next Inquisitor, if there is another one, could be a whole new character because they could sell a whole new line of action figures with a different guy. Yes, there he's you been, go. He, and he's been a face of this show. Absolutely right. He has been like Darth Maul was all over episode one. He is like the face of this thing. But um, I think the Inquisitor has played his role here in this show. And to kill him off would have Vader at the end there. Look, when I first saw the Inquisitor when they were giving promo pictures of the show, I said to myself, wait a minute, when are we going to see Darth Vader hunt down and destroy the Jedi Knights? Why can't, why do we have an Inquisitor? Why can't we just see Darth Vader do that? Well, guess what? They've introduced Darth Vader now, and they've talked about, as, as Jonathan mentioned, how he's going to come intermittently. Well, that's what the Inquisitor did this time. In season two, it'll be Darth Vader doing what the Inquisitor did, which he should have been doing in season one to begin with, in my <laughs> opinion. So there you go. I think you're absolutely right. Absolutely right. And they're they're on dangerous ground. You know, I I was sure and we're going to talk about Fulcrum, but I was sure who Fulcrum was and what they what Filoni was not going to do. And he slapped me in the face. And you're sure, you know, he did say that he did not want Vader to be a TV villain that would be fooled Would all of his plans would would not come together ever on television. He says he didn't want to do that. So I think that they can't you they're on they're on dangerous ground my point is they're on dangerous ground by introducing vader we don't need the inquisitor and by interview introducing ahsoka back into the star wars universe you don't need hera so they're on dangerous ground but it's going to be interesting to see how they're going to walk this tightrope and use these characters in a way that will satisfy you know us picky star wars fans if they do fully get rid of the inquisitor and i'm assuming he's yeah he's probably dead we didn't see it but, you know, the whole who will fall thing, in this case, literally, apparently, um, he was a character that never really got a chance to get much depth at all. I'm going to be sad to see him go because Jason Isaacs did a great job with that voice. And with the character gone, probably his vocal talent is also gone from the show. I liked some of the changes they added into this, though. 
maybe we can assume that after this, Ezra's going to wind up showing up next season, perhaps with a pair of scars, uh, a la Anakin Skywalker. Um, we finally see some new styles of attacks here when it comes to the lightsabers, because Kanan, when he's using Ezra's, and thank goodness he didn't just grab his own from the Inquisitor's belt and go with the obvious choice initially. When he's using Ezra's, he's doing the thing where he's firing the bolts and then attacking with the lightsaber, and that gives him an advantage. I appreciated the fact that they still didn't try to make it look like somehow Kanan, all of a sudden, for no apparent reason, was some kind of expert swordsman compared to the Inquisitor when there was such a mismatch between the two the first time that they met. That instead, it's more like Kanan fought harder, or to put it in a Legends reference, it's like he found the shatter point. Because as they're fighting, he's the one that realizes it's not about, you know, blocking the blades with the other blades. You put the two blades inside the ring of that spinning saber, slash it apart, and you don't need to worry about the blades anymore. He fought smarter instead of uh, with more skill, per se. And I like that. I hate to see him go, but it was a cool way to end it. And it had enough overtones of the Phantom Menace to feel familiar, yet played out differently enough that I didn't feel like we were just retreading old ground. But Barrett... I gotta say, and we can deal with this when we get to Ahsoka, I'm sure, but you've said if you've got Vader, or well, it's been said, if you've got Vader, you don't need the Inquisitor. I would probably agree with that. Hopefully Vader doesn't turn into the mustache-twirling, Grievous-style villain where all of his power is diminished by the fact that he keeps getting beaten. But I don't get the whole, if you have Ahsoka, you don't need Hera. I could see if you've got Ahsoka as a master, she could take the place of what they wanted with Luminara and help teach Ezra, or maybe even help teach Kanan some more or something. But, I mean, she flew the ghost here, and she did. It turns out, apparently, that must have really been her in that concept art we saw of the ghost way back when that looked like it was Ahsoka in the cockpit. But I'm not seeing the parallel there that somehow Ahsoka is equivalent to Hera, therefore one negates the need for the other. Hera's role here is more like the mother figure, the pilot. I don't see Ahsoka being the one to take that role, but well, I, it's it's left to be seen, but I'm wondering why you equate those two. Well, the one thing that I do want to say to to Nathan's point, and then I think a few of the major revelations of this episode, I mean, the top being who is Fulcrum, we find out that it's Ahsoka. Now, Nathan, you just said that, you know, maybe Ahsoka will take over the training of Ezra and possibly help Kanan. And I kind of thought about this, especially with, you know, subsequent viewings. When we think back, Ahsoka turned her back on the Jedi Order. She walked away from the Order. She doesn't consider herself a Jedi, I don't think. And as, you know, she doesn't even refer to Ezra as a Padawan, she refers to him as an apprentice. So I kind of think that she's not going to want to be part of that because Kanan and Ezra, they still see themselves as Jedi. And I don't think that Ahsoka does. See, I, I disagree because she wanted to keep that hope alive. And I mean, to me, she passed that trial. Yes, she walked away, but she walked away because at that point, the Jedi weren't even Jedi. I mean, they'd be, been so duped, so tied that they were going to let her walk that farce and take the fall. I don't necessarily want to see her do the training, per se. It's just it introduces a new element of someone who could, just in terms of how she could play into the the story. And and to Mark's point, and she did say, you know, Ezra must be protected. As Fulcrum, she was emphasizing the apprentice potential Jedi being the key thing to keep safe. Although you could make the argument that since he was the voice on the transmission they wanted to keep that voice of hope safe, too. 
Well, and I love that play up. I mean, for the first time ever, a new hope has a whole new meaning. It's like, oh, Luke could have been the second or third hope. Now you're getting all Matrix sequels on us. The Ahsoka reveal here at the end, I do not think she's going to take an active role in Jedi training. What I think she's going to do is she's going to be Alliance leadership, or she's going to be the precursor to Mon Mothma taking over the Alliance. That's where I see they're going with Ahsoka. But it would be great if she gives a pointer here and there. Uh, but I don't see her being a main Jedi teacher, because that also would then take away from Kanan, because Barrett was mentioning how he thinks you don't need him for Hera. I think that would replace Kanan, and you really need Kanan here uh, for Ezra. You need that relationship. You don't want to step in on that. Man, Ahsoka's like the immigrant, man. He wants that house. She's going to have three job. You know, she does put Kanan's job in jeopardy as the trainer of Jedi. She also, and, and to answer your question, Nathan... The reason that she's a threat to Hera is because Hera comes up with the plans. Ahsoka can come up with the plans. Ahsoka was a general. Wasn't she a general in the in the war? You don't need Hera to come up with any plans if you have Ahsoka around. So that's it's going to be interesting to see how they use Ahsoka. And I, I like the way how they played up on who Fulcrum was, how they kind of given us a little here by there. You know, you see in the news that Ashley e- Eckstein visited you know, the set and stuff like that. And it was Ahsoka. And the way that she came down the stairs kind of nonchalantly, it wasn't kind of like a big, huge reveal. And can we talk about Ahsoka's design? How gorgeous did Ahsoka look? Now, I'm not talking about Latara gorgeous, but she looked good. No boob window, no excess skin showing. She looked like an adult. She looked good. She went from Bambi to an elk or something like that. I don't know. I mean, I understand that this is an evolution of a look, and I also understand that this is a different animated style. I think maybe the look is going to take a little getting used to, which is fine. But, I mean, more to the point, and I posted on our Facebook before the episode aired that I was watching the previous episodes with my son Jonah. He made a a guess that we were going to find out that Fulcrum was one of Ezra's parents. And I kind of liked that. Now, I know that we had always, you know, for a lot of reasons, everybody knew it was going to be Ahsoka. We, we I think most of us pretty much guessed that because of the, the French actress that announced it, because we knew that Ashley Eckstein was, was doing recording, that, you know, all the signs were there po- pointing to Ahsoka, but... Wait, revisionist history, if anybody has just heard our latest episode before this one, <coughs> you guys were saying it was Leia. <coughs> Even I backed off and said it was Leia a little bit. <coughs> yeah, but the thing is, is that, uh, I don't know. As far as it being Ahsoka, did it have to be Ahsoka? I, I think I would have liked something different. I gotta tell you, when I was watching the episodes back-to-back, I watched three or four of them in a row because I was trying to catch up, and as I was watching this, as they were Going towards the end, I got to tell you who I thought Fulcrum was, and you guys might give me a little bit of guff for this. I thought it was going to be Emperor Palpatine. I thought he was going to pull one of those tricks again. <laughs> and I, I thought, okay, that would be so cool. be kind of a little bit lame that they go back to that well again. But on the other hand, how awesome would it be that if he's manipulating these rebels right now? And then during the course of the episode, they faked us out a little bit with Bail Organa right before the reveal of Ahsoka. But when Ahsoka came down the ladder... It, it kind of really hit home like, yeah, that, that does make sense. Uh, but how cool would it have been if it was Palpatine again? Uh, just for a second there, dream that up. That'd be kind of neat. 
That would be very The Force Unleashed, right? The manipulation yes. by the Sith to create the Rebels. That would have been cool. I gotta say, I love the fact that Ahsoka is back. I really did not like the character the first couple seasons of The Clone Wars. I made no bones about that, and I think that throughout, her design was always kind of, she did the whole jailbait Jedi thing. It just was one of those things I always said was kind of not appropriate. Barrett, now you can, you know, you can make her your next Latar all you want, because now she's, what, 32 years old or something like that. But I think that it, it was kind of a surprise having her back to have it actually confirmed because Filoni had said that it wasn't going to happen, but then you had the French voice actress making the, the, the resume or whatever you want to call it online reference here. Uh, I think it could have been good to be a lot of different characters, but this creates that through line between them. And it's interesting if you guys watch the Rebels Recon, some of the things Filoni says about this. He says that they actually hadn't originally planned for Ahsoka to be back. At least, if so, not yet. Because if she was going to come back, they wanted to establish the other characters first. But then as soon as they hit the idea, it seems, when you get to, I think it's Pablo Hidalgo talking about it, as soon as they hit the idea of Fulcrum, that Fulcrum was always going to be Ahsoka. So fairly early on, they started planting those seeds. And again, credit where it's due, they didn't blow this surprise super early in the series by foreshadowing it too much. And when she does come back, the design choices are impressive. She looks more mature in terms of the character design and the clothing, although, you know, you could argue about the wideness of the face, perhaps it's, but she's, you know, a decade or so older, decade plus older. And notice the lightsabers in the different concept art that they show us. White, neither Jedi nor Sith, symbolizing that she's not choosing a side. She's not officially either at this point. Getting two sabers back again, a very samurai type look. I think even for those who were very skeptical about the Clone Wars or just flat out hated the Clone Wars, seeing her back here may start to change their view on it. Because if they handle this character as well in Rebels as it handled the others, it might get some people to go back and watch the the earlier series. And that, I think, would be a very good thing as far as bringing some fandom back together. Well, and to me, it just made a lot of sense because, I mean, it's sort of the Timothy Zahn thing with Mara Jade, right? I mean, it seems to be like, oh, of course, Filoni's going to insert Ahsoka where he can, it totally makes sense for a lot of reasons. And there's no reason, no reason why she, she couldn't be part of the early rebel Alliance. And quite frankly, you know, Ahsoka is one of those characters that by season three and definitely season four, I'm not exactly sure when it happened, probably with the redesign. Like uh, I think Nathan, like you mentioned at some point, I actually really start appreciating the uh, Ahsoka episodes. And when she, was gone for a few weeks. I was like, "Oh man, we we haven't seen Ahsoka in a while." And it, it it got to the point where no, she she's a very natural part of that show. And for her to continue to Rebels totally works for me. The last thing about Ahsoka is what this does is by reintroducing her into this new series and giving her this redesign. And for me, the redesign she doesn't look so much like Ashley Eckstein. You know, in in Clone Wars, she really looked like Ashley Eckstein with the big eyes and stuff. She's almost looks like a whole different person than she used to. But what we can get and what we may get in Rebels that I think was impossible to get in Clone Wars is we could get the death of Ahsoka. And it could be soon. It could be next episode for all we know. And I think she knows Vader is Anakin. And that's something that I think we you know, may need to talk about at, at a later time. How much does Ahsoka know and how much does Vader know? I mean, I'm hoping that since they have them both here, that there is some sort of confrontation between the two of them. That's something I would really look forward to. Yeah. Well, and how much does Kanan know? 
I mean, she comes down and says, I'm Ahsoka Tano. He was a Padawan around the same time. I mean, she was the Padawan of the Chosen One. That's a name that should have rung a bell somewhere at some point in the back of his head. I think it did, didn't it? Didn't he have a crush on her and had a poster of her on her wall and stuff like that? Like, she was the pinup of the Jedi Order for him, right? That was a deleted scene, Brock. (laughs) Oh, that was, oh, okay. Wasn't she the Farrah Fawcett of the Jedi Order? You know what I'm saying? You don't want to Google her, that's for sure. You know, the coolest thing in my mind that they could do with all this, Brock, like you're talking about with Vader hunting down the Jedi, the coolest thing they could do is have these two chase each other back and forth, and at the very last episode of Rebels, Vader Vader cuts her down. I agree. That would be the coolest thing to do for Vader's character. But I don't want Rebels to turn into the Vader Ahsoka show. But that would be cool. What if they could do it in a way where it was a side plot? Where, you know, she was in the way and Kanan or Ezra had something that Vader was coming for and she sacrifices herself. So you have that closure for the Clone Wars and Ahsoka's character and Anakin's character. And then you still have these main characters being the driving force of the show. That could work as long as it's not like season two, you know, all these characters who we've come to really like, care about and be invested in suddenly get shoved to the back because Ahsoka and Vader are here now. But you can give one episode to it. You don't have to have a whole thing. You can give like little pieces and parts here and there, but then have an episode like they had Lando featured in an episode. Why can't they have these two fighting and one of the and, and Vader getting the best of Ahsoka and then having this group of rebels who have united around her and she has become a major force for the no pun intended for the rebels. Wouldn't it be great to them all see her get killed by Vader and have her have closure with Anakin? The whole thing is just ripe with drama. It doesn't have to be the whole Ahsoka and Anakin show, but it can be something like a nice, awesome episode. I think it could be a really nice arc. But again, I don't want them going back to the well so many times that it's another Anakin versus Dooku situation. Right. You mentioned essentially what amounts to a continuity thing there. And we talked about a little bit about this idea of, you know, Ahsoka could die. What's interesting here in this Gets, gets into the continuity stuff, folks. This is, we don't have a continuity corner. This is one of the times it needs to come up, though. You may recall that back when the announcement was made that essentially took the old expanded universe and turned it into the Legends continuity and then sort of started building this new story group driven canon with the new books, the new comics, the new films coming and all this kind of stuff, that you had a situation where the Clone Wars winds up existing in both continuities, essentially. You have the films plus the Clone Wars get carried over from the old continuity, so to speak, into the new, and now Rebels is building on it and all this other stuff. Clone Wars is unique outside of the films in fitting into both universes. You can't take it out. It causes things in the old continuity to fall apart, like, you know, Fate of the Jedi won't work without the Mortis trilogy. What that means, though, is that since Rebels is part of this new continuity and not the old, Rebels has nothing to do with Legends, we're sort of getting an answer to what happened to Ahsoka, yet leaving the question open at the same time. Because now we know what happens to her in story group canon, this timeline. We still don't know what happens to her in the Legends continuity. Because Rebels ain't part of it. Be interesting someday if they were to pick up that thread in a completely different way for Legends, just as almost like a what-if story. They'll never do it. But it's interesting that we have a, an instance here where, because there are these two continuities crossing over with the Clone Wars... We now have Ahsoka stories that take place in one continuity and not the other for the very first time, two years to the day after the character walked off the screen. 
All right, let's talk about the other character that showed up. We get the sort of last-minute introduction of Vader, and it's the same type of you know design that we saw in that added scene to Spark of Rebellion where the mask doesn't look... It, it, it looks sort of taller and thinner. Again, I'm glad to see Vader here. I just hope it isn't going to be an overwhelming presence, and I don't think he will be based on comments that Filoni has made. Didn't you find the mask was right out of Macquarie, though? That's the whole th- design completely mm-hmm. matches everything else here, right? Even going so far as to have the red-tinted lenses that you get in A New Hope that you don't get in the other couple of films of the original trilogy, although, to me, that was actually kind of jarring. I know it's meant to connect with The New Hope, but the red lenses is going to take some getting used to. We didn't see that, obviously, the first time we saw him in the show because it was a hologram. Yeah, but they're polarized to protect his eyes and, like, they have a UV, a UV protection and stuff. Yeah, I mean, he's on Mustafar. Come on. <laughs> I'll torch your eyes. But he wasn't on Mustafar. We never saw him on Mustafar, did we? That's probably where he connected with Tarkin. Yeah. You would assume, but not something we said. You're We're putting words in their mouths again. So he arrives very much like the end of Return of the Jedi and Tarkin's there to greet him and all that kind of thing. We're talking about how much Vader's going to be around. We're talking about how much Ahsoka might be around. But how much is Tarkin going to be around? Is he going to be a major player in the series going forward as well? That's something we haven't talked about. And I I don't know if that's true. He's been around for a couple of episodes, but it seems to me he's just here to solve a quick problem. He'll go away, and they're going to go back to the ineffectual Imperial troopers. You know, that's a great point because, you know, Ahsoka and him have a role to play as well. I mean, the last time Ahsoka had anything to do with the Jedi, he had a big hand in driving that wedge there. So I was I was curious, too, if they were going to play some kind of angle there down the road as well. Oh, yeah, that'd be that would be awesome, given the fact that I think we I think we mentioned this before. It may have been when we were talking about stuff on Beyond the Films. It all blends together. But the fact that in the Tarkin novel, they specifically point out that Palpatine was constantly trying to get Vader and Tarkin to work closer together, but or Anakin and Tarkin and then Vader and Tarkin, but it never came to fruition specifically because of the negativity that Anakin had towards Tarkin because of the trial of Ahsoka, which is used in part to get to some of their cool relationship in A New Hope, but that'd be very interesting to see it happen here as well. But to me, that wasn't the squee moment, though. Everybody's saying that the two big, oh, yeah! moments are Vader and Ahsoka. For me, it was Ahsoka coming back. But the only other time, aside from at the beginning with the whole Kanan revealing the secret to everyone and pulling the lightsaber out and just sending the chill down my spine, the only other time this show has managed to pull that off in a huge way wasn't Vader or Ahsoka. It was right before where the TIE and we didn't even necessarily hit the moment here. The TIE Fighters are being chased by the Imperial TIE Fighters. And boom, out of hyperspace comes the transport, and you're like, awesome, Chopper's here! And then as soon as you're coming down for the emotional jump of that, here come the blockade runners. Here comes the ghost coming in to attack. That, to me, was that iconic squee kind of moment that just blew my mind. I mean, I expected Chopper to come back, but with basically what amounts to a tiny rebel fleet? I mean, forget who's piloting the things. That moment was incredible to me right along with the whole canon revealing the jedi moment no i agree with you that was that was a nice moment i don't know if it was quite a squee moment but i really liked seeing the blockade runners you know kind of screening so that you know the rebels could get away the other thing that i i I don't know i enjoyed that whole space battle but again on multiple viewings the thing that kind of stuck out to me is like 
wow, did they send more TIE fighters against these two escaping ships than they did uh, the whole Battle of Yavin? Well, yeah, it seems like. But I think that was meant to be reminiscent of the moment where you see the TIE fighters coming at us in Return of the Jedi. I'm not sure they were thinking in terms of logical numbers here. Well, that's a technological, uh, you know, 1976 filmmaking, I think, uh, you know, retcon you can make in your head. No, I and I apologize. I'm nitpicking. It's just one of those things where I'm like, huh, wow, they must really take them seriously. Well, they probably figured, hey, we sent all those TIE fighters after those two ships and it didn't work. So let's let's spare it on the rebel ships. They couldn't possibly hit that two meter hole. <laughs> <laughs> well, a really great discussion talking with some really great friends about a really great episode. So before we close out for the evening, if you'd all like to maybe give us final thoughts on this episode, and we'll be back soon to talk the season roundup. But Jerry, why don't you kick us off? Sure. Very excited for what Rebels Season 1, Volume 1, as iTunes calls it, has been. I uh, I got to eat some of my words. I said before Rebels started that, hey, I have zero confidence in what Dave Filoni can do. And, you know, when I saw Filoni speak at Celebration Europe, he sort of indicated that he has the opportunity and the freedom to do a, a show like this without Lucas hovering over him and telling him what to do. I'm kind of reading between the lines a little bit, but I think he pretty much blamed Lucas for everything we didn't like about uh, uh, Clone Wars and you know, probably took all the credit for everything we did, but you know, I, I think he pulled off a, a good show here and I, I really enjoy it. Looking forward to season two. I almost, it's almost enough to make me really, really, really wish I could be at celebration seven this year. Cause I think we're going to see uh, if not whole episodes of season two at celebration seven, at least glimpses of it. But I, th- I thought it was a whole episode. So, I mean, if you're really wondering what's going to happen next, I mean, I guess some people have to wait no more than uh, Anaheim. I won't be a part of that this year unfortunately but uh, I, I really can't wait when this show picks up i i hope it's not a launching in october sort of thing and that maybe it's going to be one of those shows with goofy schedules like a lot of cable shows and maybe we get a a, a summer uh, set of uh, episodes so we can maybe talk that kind of stuff and hopefully have more information by the roundup uh, episode but overall great stuff i love where they're going with it it's great vaders in it i, I like the the turn with ahsoka and i, I think it's gonna be a lot of fun well done yeah, this thing had everything we're looking for in Rebels and more. It, it came through on the promise of this season in multiple ways. They had plenty of great character moments, but it really focused on action. It ended some stuff, it, and I said before, it started some great new areas to cover. I really think that the episode, it not only is it a good conclusion to some outstanding arcs, but it's a great conclusion to the series so far as a whole. And and that's what a good season finale needs to be. It needs to be a nice conclusion, a nice satisfying conclusion, give you something to, to latch onto, and and then keeping wanting more. And you can't ask for more than that. And I and I really think that this show has really had a great stride and this episode is just a reward for all of us who've been watching all season, uh, that our time was not wasted. So, yeah, all around great stuff. Nice way to conclude the season. And uh, bravo to everyone involved. It was uh, a quite a good episode. Great episode. Great episode. I don't think anybody can argue about that. Lots of things to discuss. Lots of things to look forward to in the future. We're going to get more in-depth into Ahsoka and Fulcrum and what we learned and who they 
used correctly and who they didn't use correctly all in the wrap-up show but you know what a great show it was such a treat to have uh you brock and and jerry always a treat to have you you know you guys always have a unique perspective on things and uh always keep me in my cage you know when i want to let the beast out so it was good talking to you guys uh but overall for the show great show you know, I, I love the fact that the season, the way it all wrapped up in this one, really put a lot of, of worries that I had of the new story group, the new direction of Star Wars. You know, I, I was always a Legends First fan, so I had a lot of trepidation going into the show, and it has delivered on every angle. And I, I just love the way that, that this one episode especially felt like it was an hour and a half movie in just 20 minutes' time. You know, I talked about how how the whole season felt like a big Lord of the Rings six episode saga kind of thing. But th- this whole 20, 22 minutes was just it delivered on so many levels that I got lost time and time again. I mean, there were moments where I choked up over words like run, you know, I mean, like really like, wow. Uh, you know, when we see Kanan just become a Jedi and have that moment where he just gives over everything and he's like, I have nothing left to lose. You know, I mean, just cuts loose. I absolutely fell in love with some of these characters all over again. And that's just keeps happening, you know, time and time again, when, when they find out that they're a rebel cell and Ezra looks back to Zeb and, and he's like, you knew we were a rebel cell. No, I, I just, I, I'm just loving this thing so much. And the way that, that Filoni and crew do the little slide of hats and stuff. I mean, you know, we talked about the voice actress saying, you know, she was going to be Ahsoka, but we also knew Bale was going to be in this episode. So it was like, Ooh, it could be either one, either one. And then as Chopper's coming up the, the wheel well and stuff, there's a hollow of Bale. And you're like, oh, Bale's Fulcrum. And then, no, there's Ahsoka. I mean, I, I was just at the edge of my seat every time I watched the episode. There were, there were moments where the Inquisitor is talking to Kanan. And I'm like, I'm like, did he just say Force Saber? Or, or, or having two sabers? Me and my son were arguing over what he had said to him because he's like, you don't have your complete saber. We're like, what did he say there? Uh, there's just so many angles of it. I could watch it over and over again and talk about it for hours on end. And that is something that I was worried was going to go away. And it didn't. Absolutely phenomenal episode. Um, it's one of those ones that I can just watch again and again. And it's just as thrilling the fourth or fifth time as it was the first time around. Uh, a great end to what has turned out to be a terrific season. I think that there are still going to be people out there who refuse to watch Rebels because their continuity, which... I grew up with two, right? The Legends continuity is pushed aside, and now there's this. Or, they canceled Clone Wars, and now there's this. But if there's ever been any point of the season where we could flat out say, if you're not watching this as a Star Wars fan, you're doing yourself a disservice, it's now. Now you have no excuse not to try to go through, whether it's on home video, iTunes, whatever, and see this in in its entirety, because it's one of the better Star Wars stories that's been told out there. Uh, Particularly one of the better Star Wars stories being told in visual format. It's certainly, honestly, a lot more coherent than some of the prequels were. Um, So, fantastic episode, but definitely also a game changer. This is one of those times where I can sit back and say, you know what? I thought I knew what Rebels was. I thought I kind of knew what this show was going to be. After this episode, I'm not sure I do anymore. And I'm excited to find out what it's going to be, which I guess is what anyone would ask for from a show that's getting off the ground. You know, I have to echo a lot of what you guys have said. Nathan, you're saying, you're reminding me that this is a show that's really still getting off the ground. I mean, we've only had 13 regular season episodes, but this this series has a feel of something that's been here a lot longer. It's it's cohesive. It flows. It you know it, it makes all these connections that we've talked about. This was a, the perfect way 
perfect way to end the season. And like everybody else, I am really excited to see where they go with it in season two. And, you know, I would have said I'm hopeful that they can keep up this level, but I will instead say that I'm pretty confident that they will. Honestly, I had my reservations before this series came out, but they were all proved unfounded. And I've told other Star Wars fans, big Star Wars fans who haven't taken the time to watch this, you need to watch this series. It is, it, it really does add to the, the Star Wars mythos. And I really hope that this stays with us for a long time to come. I like these characters. I'm invested in these characters. And I can't wait to see what they're going to do next. But... That closes out season one. We'll see everybody in a couple of weeks for our season wrap-up show with a couple of other new guests. But until that time, long live the Rebellion. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Star Wars Report's Rebels Roundtable. Rebels Roundtable is hosted by Jonathan, Barrent, Jen, Nathan, Mark, and Dan. Interact with us online at facebook.com slash rebelsroundtable or on Twitter at rebelsround. Also, be sure to visit rebelsroundtable.com when looking for an episode directory of the show. The Rebels Roundtable team is proud to carry on the legacy of Venganza Media's Republic Forces Radio Network podcast. We invite you to visit RepublicForces.com's archive section to hear many of the team members' thoughts on the Clone Wars, Droids, Ewoks, and the Clone Wars micro-series. And check out Star Wars Beyond the Films, the official Expanded Universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com, which you can find among the second Airborne Division podcast network at StarWarsReport.com. Star Wars Rebels and all that the Star Wars universe contains is the intellectual property of the Walt Disney Company, and no infringement is intended. Star Wars Reports Rebels Roundtable is copyright 2014, all rights reserved. I've been what, Jerry, it's been a long time, man. I know. What, what were you guys up to? Uh, what's up, guys? Hold on, hold on a second, let me put my pants back on. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I have not prepared notes for this, guys. So if I would be here, it'd be off the cuff, and I don't think it's fair to anybody. I mean, I'm, I'd be happy to stick around if you want me to and just crack some jokes and have some fun. That's absolutely fine. But I have not prepared for this. And so, I mean, it's not fair to Mark and, and Nathan, who probably have copious amounts of notes. Uh, <laughs> Wait a minute. You, you have listened to the show, right? Yeah, I was going to say, I, if that's not fair, I don't, I've never been fair in my life. And the episode is I got my notes. I got my notes. Don't. All right. Let's. Don't have to. Also known as fag. I'm really not sure they wanted to do that on purpose. Let's be in our best behavior for our guests. Oh, no, 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 Mark. (laughs) Turn it off. (laughs) It's like whistler away. Now we're like morning DJ radio. Uh, (laughs) Well, if we don't get it, don't get this going. It will be morning. It was firing on all cylinders. It was like being in the pod race all over again for me. I mean, you know, there were some aspects of it that had me kind of scratching my head and questioning, but all in good ways. You know, nothing where I'm like kind of ripping on it. I know we we can tend to rip on some things here and there, but this was definitely not one that I had any complaints about. A prequel reference? Really? I mean, seriously, (laughs) you had to go Phantom Menace? What is that? (laughs) 
the best part of it. For me, <laughs> it's it it did feel like. Baron, a movie. could you start again? I'm sorry. I was laughing too. Sorry. <laughs> I think it sounds natural when they laugh. I think we're just watching cartoon action, and it's fantastical. And how someone doesn't shoot Sabine four feet away from I don't know, but it was cool. Are you saying a bunch of men in their 30s should not discuss a Star Wars animated feature like the Cuban Missile Crisis? <laughs> but that's why we're here. Yeah. <laughs> no, I just oh. think there's probably better things about the show to uh, contemplate oh. for. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Beyond the seven minutes we've already dedicated to the topic. <laughs> but hey, three Barrett, hours. Bra- bravo to you for dropping uh, uh, the Cuban Missile Crisis. I think that's the first for this show. <laughs> Leave it to Mark to bring in the deep stuff when we're talking all superficial here. Come on, man. Let's talk about the Cuban Missile Crisis again, then. Use these characters in a way that will satisfy, you know, us picky Star Wars fans. Us picky? I don't know what you're talking about. We picky? We picky? Is that better? You picky. What, me picky? What are you picking? And scene. Latara. Oof. (laughs) (laughs) Always come back. Jonathan, can we get into a sulk and fulcrum now? Since uh, well, um, we're transitioning, or would I, you like to talk about something else? Because I'm ready to dig in Nathan's ass. Okay, yeah. <laughs> do you want to rephrase that, please? Thank <laughs> or God, do you two want to be going alone? To Celebration I mean, Anaheim. That's all I'm saying. Okay. Was this episode the one when they kill the two Imperial officers in the in the office? No, that was that was, that was two action. episodes ago. Okay, because that was fucking awesome. Okay. Then. <laughs> <laughs> and we agreed with you. <laughs> Listen to the episode that was just released. We we wholeheartedly agree with you. It's cool. Okay. I just, I just, okay. Then we, I'm glad I, I didn't want to go into it if you guys already covered it. And thank you for clarifying. Will you please stop talking?